Our scripture reading for today is found in Mark 10, 35 through 45. I'll be reading from the NIV, so please listen to the word of the Lord. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do of us, do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom of many. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jane. Thanks, Dana and team, for leading us this morning. Good morning, Trinity Church. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Glad to welcome you here this morning. And uh, excuse me, I'm still trying to compose myself a little bit. I, don't, I just have some of those Sunday mornings where I can barely even sing our songs. I mean, tears are just streaming down out of both, both my eyes this morning. Just overwhelmed with the uh, greatness of our God. You know, some, maybe what hit me this morning, I think, is that we're singing about our king and thinking about one day when we will actually step into his presence. And as we just sang in that last song, um, one day all will know of his greatness. We are so privileged, so blessed that we know of his greatness now. And we anticipate his kingdom that we're talking about all summer here. We anticipate that moment when we'll stand before him as our king. And I don't know about you, but occasionally when I think about that, it just is overwhelming to me. And to hear your voices, and then to imagine this multiplied millions of times with all those in heaven singing the praises of our God around his throne. That's just going to be amazing. So, excuse my tears this morning, but uh, I'm just so thankful for the greatness of our God. And I'm thankful for you if you came in through the parking lot, you saw Beth out there. So thankful for your prayers this week. Beth's gotten a little better each day to being able to uh, come here and be up on her feet today. Um, she's okay. She slipped out. Actually, she's <laughs> right down out in the foyer in a chair, just kind of being able to take a little pressure off her back. Still not 100%, but doing so much better. So a lot of you have been asking and thinking of us and praying for us. Thank you so much. That, that just... Love the way the body of Christ comes around us and, and you any time we're in need like this. So 
That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. So we're going to pause for a minute. We're going to ask God to guide us in his word and uh, trust that he wants to speak to us more this morning. This, the music is an opportunity for us to respond to him, and it's also important that we listen to him. That's what we'll do in just a moment. So let's pray together. Lord, we come and we truly are so blessed. We are amazed and overwhelmed afresh at your greatness and your goodness of your kingship and your kingdom. And Lord God, though we are still yet to see it with our eyes, we see it by faith and we anticipate that day when we will be in your presence and we will see the king and we will fall on our knees with throngs of millions of others and we will sing, I don't know if it'll be these songs, but Lord, in some way we will sing your praises. And I thank you that we have that assurance and anticipation, that hope that moves us on and carries us through every day here on this earth. I thank you for that. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you that you've given us this revelation of your truth, the realities that go beyond what we just see here on this earth so that we can know what we're living for, know what the true meaning of life is. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would speak to us again about your kingdom. Help us to see it the way you see it, to have your perspective, your eyes on your kingdom values. And I pray, Lord, that you would guard my words, help me to rightly, accurately communicate for us this morning what you have for us, what you want to speak to us, and may we respond to you, to the work of your spirit in us, to the work of your word on us. May we re respond directly to you in obedience. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you've ever stayed at a swanky hotel, then maybe you've had this experience of making your reservation and getting a question asked of you saying, do you have any special requests? Now, if you typically stay at Days Inn, maybe you don't get that very often, you don't, don't get the option of stuff, but, but if, if you pay the big bucks and you go to the, they'll let you make a request. Actually, even little hotels will often give you that request. You can, uh, maybe a crib if the room, if you have a baby, or if you need uh, a room on the, on the top floor, I mean, you can make those special requests. But some people have a little fun with that. So I found this uh, online and just some... Un interesting, unusual requests that have come from people when they've been asked this question, do you have a special request? So, first is from a hotel in Seattle, Washington, where a guest requested that the pillows not just be left on the bed, the pillows be formed into a pillow fort and that the towels be shaped like elephants. Now, I think they were just having fun, but the staff actually did this. Now, I'd love to see what a pillow fort looks like, but they put the pillows in the shape of a fort, and they put the towels in the shape of elephants. They answered that request. Another one, at Tucson, Arizona, a guest asked, said he needed camels. <laughs> so, the hotel, amazingly, the staff found a couple of camels for this guest. I'm sure it cost them, but there were camels waiting for it. And another, another one, I think it was in London, Ho London Hotel, the, uh, the guest requested a bathtub full of goat's milk. And the hotel did it. They provided a, a bathtub full of goat's milk. Again, I think it cost the guest for that, but they fulfilled the request. One more, another hotel in Boston, a bathtub filled with ice, 20 pounds of ice for the guest's penguins. 
Now, I would think bringing penguins with you, that requires a special request in and of itself. But they got there, and the ice was in the tub. Now, of all those outlandish requests were actually fulfilled by those hotels. James and John, in our passage today, make an outlandish request. But it cannot be fulfilled because in their request, they misunderstood the whole nature of the kingdom of God. It, it revealed a deep flaw in their understanding of what the kingdom really is. And so Jesus uses this opportunity of this outlandish request to teach them and teach His disciples two key principles about the upside-down kingdom. That's our series for this summer. We started it last Sunday, and we continue right through the end of August. The upside-down kingdom. The counterintuitive sayings of Jesus about the countercultural kingdom of God. So we're going to be jumping around the Gospels through this summer to see what did Jesus say about His kingdom. Last Sunday we opened the series, as I said, and after the service, um, Bob Dine sent me a quote. He, he had found this just in a devotional like that, that same day or that weekend, a quote by one of my favorite Christian writers, A.W. Tozer. And I love this quote because this really pictures for us what it means to embrace this upside-down kingdom. Because if we do this, if we really grab a hold of God's kingdom, it will look strange to those around us. Let me show you. Here's the quote. Tozer says, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one who he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right, he goes down in order to get up, he's strongest when he's weakest, he's richest when he's poorest, happiest when he feels worst, he dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so that he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. A great description of the upside-down kingdom. That's what we're learning about this summer. And today, we're going to focus on this particular part of the kingdom, this particular principle. This is a kingdom of servants. Jesus presents His kingdom as a kingdom of servants. So if you haven't done so already, please turn to that passage you heard read, Mark chapter 10. The same story, by the way, is in Matthew chapter 20, almost verbatim. We'll note a couple of differences. But we're going to follow the story in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, to see what Jesus has to say about glory and greatness in God's kingdom. I mean, a kingdom should have glory. A kingdom should be about greatness. And we've sung about the greatness of God this morning. But in God's kingdom, it looks different than we would expect, than our world would expect. So here's our first principle this morning of two. In Christ's kingdom, glory comes through suffering. Glory comes through suffering. So let's get the context for this passage. James and John, as you remember, they were brothers, sons of Zebedee. Remember Jesus' title for them? They were the sons of what? Sons of thunder. Now, we don't know exactly why Jesus chose to call them the sons of thunder, but after seeing this passage and comparing it to Matthew 20, I'm wondering if it might be because of their mother. Her name was uh, Salome, and in Matthew's account, Matthew 20, it's not just James and John who come with this request. Their mom gets in it. She's the one who actually voices the request. So here's the picture. James and John and their mom coming to Jesus 
with this request. Now, these guys were inner circle. Remember, it was James and John and Peter. They were the ones that got a little bit more of Jesus' attention. They got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And so here they are giving this bold, outrageous request. Can you, can you just imagine saying this to Jesus? Here's what they say. We want you to do for, it, for us whatever we ask. That's a bold request. I, I read that. I, how could they do that? How could they say this to Jesus? But I love this. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't even act surprised. He doesn't say, what are, what are you saying? How could you ask that question? No. He graciously says, what do you want me to do for you? He, he goes along with them. He, he's, what is your request? Such patience, such grace. And every time I see it with the disciples, I say, so thankful God is gracious and patient with me too. So this first, if the first request wasn't outrageous enough, this one now, when they get to the request, really sounds presumptuous. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, why would they ask this? Maybe, maybe they just didn't want to get stuck ne sitting next to Matthew, the tax collector, <laughs> and so they're organizing their seats. I don't want to be by Bartholomew. Nobody knows anything about him. I'm not sitting next to him. I want the important seats. So in some way, they had in their mind, if there's going to be a kingdom, we want the seats right next to Jesus. And so that's what they're asking for. The seats of honor, the seats of authority, that's what the right and the left hand were. Now, we know that when they talk about the, the seats in Jesus' kingdom, in, glory, in your glory, it means the kingdom. So we put the passage up here, the parallel from Matthew 20, verse 21. This is the mother voicing the request, grant that of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So that's, the kind, that's what they're thinking about. They're talking about the kingdom. When you come into your glorious kingdom, we want the seats to your right and to your left. Now, let me thread this out a little bit more. Why would they ask this? I'll give you a few possible reasons. Maybe, maybe this was a family favor. Now, as far as we can tell from, from the text and kind of putting different verses together, their mom, Salome, was a sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if that was the case, then they were cousins to Jesus. So maybe this is James and John coming to their, hey, Jesus, Jesus, come on, we're your cousins. <laughs> we deserve the seats right next to you, right? Let's get this worked out. Maybe that was it. There was certainly an element of this, the timing. So the sense, the sense was this was the time Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. That's what the disciples thought, certainly what James and John thought. They're on their way to Jerusalem. The text tells us that. They're going for the festival. There's going to be a lot of people there. Jerusalem is the seat of religious and political power in Israel. This is the perfect time, James and John are thinking. If Jesus is going to announce his kingdom, it's going to be this trip. And so we better get our seats at the table. Maybe that was it. Or maybe it was the fact that there were other seats that were assigned or were given promise to the disciples. So they'd been told by Jesus that they would sit on thrones. Remember last week we talked about that question of Peter, we've left all for you, what is there for us? This is part of Jesus' answer. Look at this verse from Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
So at least to their credit, James and John remember this promise and they believe that Jesus was going to give them thrones, seats in his kingdom. So now they're asking, we want these specific seats, Jesus. Now the problem was that they missed last week's sermon. (laughs) They missed the part we talked about last week about the hidden kingdom. That what Jesus was talking about was that a spiritual kingdom was in place before he would come in his physical, literal kingdom. They're still thinking physical kingdom. They're still planning for that like all the other disciples were as well. So they missed the fact that Jesus had told them, and this is, I think explains why, even though Jesus says it over and over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. It just goes right over their heads. It doesn't make any sense to them. So they just dismiss it. And it was true here too. So if you look just before our verses, back to verses 32 to 34 in Mark 10, Jesus had told them for the third time that He was going to suffer and die in Jerusalem. So... Jesus brings him back to it again. Verse 38 in our passage. You don't know what you're asking, he says to James and John. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Now, often in the Bible, these terms, cup and baptism, refer to suffering and specifically suffering under judgment, under God's judgment. And so when Jesus is talking about this, He's not just talking about suffering. It's for a particular purpose, that He's going to suffer because He will be bearing the sin of the world on His shoulders, and He's going to die for that sin. He's going to pay the price for that sin. The judgment of God will be on Him because of that sin. He wasn't headed to a throne, not yet. He was headed to a cross. That had to come first. And James and John, and Jesus says, are you ready? They said, yeah, yeah, okay, we're ready. They, they thought they were ready for what was to come, but they didn't know. They didn't understand yet what was coming. But they would soon find out. And so Jesus says to them, well, yes, you will suffer on my account. You'll get a taste of the suffering that I'm going to experience But the rewards and the honors of the kingdom, Jesus says, those are assigned by my Father. Those are granted by Him. Those are not mine to give. So just to play this out in the history, as you may know, James was the first of the disciples martyred, as best we can tell. Acts chapter 12 talks about how Herod took his life. John lived probably longer than any of the other disciples, but he ends up his life through a number of different persecutions. He ends up in exile on Patmos, and that's where he writes the book of Revelation. So, James and John did suffer for the sake of Christ. What Jesus told them came true. So, what is Jesus teaching them? What is he teaching his disciples? What is he teaching us here? The the lesson, I think, is this, very simply. Humility comes before glory. Humility is the value of the kingdom. The suffering comes before reigning. A cross comes before the crown. That was true for Jesus. That's often true for us. 
Here it is. If, if you want to experience the glory of Christ's kingdom, it's not an honor that you inherit by being a cousin of Jesus, and it's not something that you can earn by your own good deeds. It comes through humble submission to Christ. It's the only way it comes. It comes through humility. It comes through submission. Following Jesus may mean following Him through hardship and suffering and difficulty. That's what He told us. But when, when we follow Him, that pathway, though it leads through some suffering, eventually leads to glory. It leads to the kingdom. How many of you have heard of a guy named Bear Grylls? Survivalist, right? I mean, even the name, I don't know if he came up with that name or if that's his real name, but Bear Grylls, I mean, he just sounds like a survivalist guy. And he, he for a while, I don't know if it's still on, but he had a, a particular show called Running Wild. And, and in this particular um, reality show, he would take celebrities out into the wilderness somewhere, and they would learn survival techniques just by hanging out with Bear. And so he would take these celebrities out and expose them to the conditions and the harsh realities of nature, of the wild. And so they would be repelling from cliffs and crossing raging rivers and sleeping in caves and out in the open and eating bugs and all kinds of disgusting stuff. And if they stuck it out with Bear, they would survive because he would teach them how to survive. They would get to the end because they were with him. They would succeed. Now, by the way, he now has an academy, so if you missed out on the show and you want to learn how to survive with Bear Grylls, you can go to his academy and you can learn there, okay? But the point I'm making here is that when we run with Jesus, if you hang with Jesus, you may go through some hardships, some difficulties, some suffering, because he did. And he promises, tells us that we may as well. But in the end, He is your survival. He is the one that takes you through this life, will take you to glory, take you to heaven. You will succeed in that sense because you're following Jesus. Peter learned this really well, and he explains it really well. He talks about trials for himself and for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Look at this passage. Peter says, in all this, talking about trials of life, he says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." He says, yes, you may have suffered for a little while, but all that will be worth it when Jesus Christ is revealed and you see Him in all of His glory and His greatness, and you are there with Him. Yes, God the Father is preparing to reveal His Son as King. That day will come. And one day He will reward our faithfulness to Him. There will be the rewards of the kingdom. Those are to come. But trials and suffering may be part of our life here and now on this earth. There's another part of the kingdom value, though, that's not a maybe. 
And the suffering comes at different levels, different times, different people. That's not a given. But the second part of this kingdom value really is a choice that we make. So here's our second principle for this morning in this passage. In Christ's kingdom, greatness comes through serving. Greatness comes through serving. Now, in case you think this skewed view of God's kingdom was only a problem for James and John, look at the reaction of the ten disciples. Verse 41 says, and they heard about this, they were indignant. They were mad. They were upset. Maybe because they didn't think to ask the question first. Or maybe, most likely, because they saw this as a move by James and John to get the most important seats. And you see this infighting and this, this, this realization that they, too, missed this kingdom value. They thought it was about position. They thought about, it was about the thrones. They thought, about, they thought it was about who was most important. So it was time for some group therapy here. So Jesus pulls them together. All right, guys, come on around. He's going to teach him another lesson about the upside-down kingdom. So what does he do? Jesus first describes the Gentile way or the worldly way. That's what he means here, the worldly way of greatness. How do you become great in this world? Well, you assert yourself. You intimidate, you dominate, you promote yourself, whatever you need to do. You serve yourself, and if you become great enough, then others will serve you. And if other people are serving you, then you know you've achieved greatness. That's what our world says. And it's certainly the way it worked in the Roman world as well. The, the Caesars were considered gods. They certainly considered themselves gods. Their image would be imprinted on their coins so that you knew anytime you handled the coins that Caesar was at the top and that everything belonged to him. And yeah, you may have this coin, but Caesar really owns this coin and really owns you. Caesar was the ultimate, the absolute power over everyone in the empire. That's how it worked. But that's not how things work in Christ's spiritual kingdom. And that's what he's saying to his disciples. He's saying, in your world, in my kingdom, in the church, it's different. Verse 43, not so with you. Four simple words. Not so with you. This isn't the way it works for you if you're going to follow me. See, in the upside-down kingdom, the great ones are the servants. The, the first are the last. The slaves are at the top. So if you want to do something significant and meaningful and great in God's kingdom, then you serve. Because that's the greatest thing you can do. Greatness is not achieved by asserting one's rank or power. It's through humble service. And that's upside down to our world. Think about this, just how we experience this in our everyday life. So we allow people to serve us every single day. This past Friday was Friday's my day off, and so took Beth out. The first stop was to the doctor and have her back checked. Well, we went in and the office person who greeted us served us. We went in, the doctor served, he helped, he took care of her. 
We went on out of that doctor's office, went to a restaurant for lunch, and a server served us our meal. Somebody in the back made that meal. We went to a store, and somebody in the aisle helped us find what we were looking for. They served us. We went to the cash register, and the cashier checked us out, served us. Had we needed somebody to help carry something out of the store, somebody would have served us in that capacity. Every day, sometimes we pay for it, sometimes we don't, but people are serving us. So we get used to that. That just feels normal. But to turn that around and to be intentional about serving others, that doesn't come as naturally, which is why Jesus has to call us to this value. And when we do serve, a lot of times we think of it as an act, an act of service. So when we talk about serving, we think of the things that we do to serve. And, and that makes sense. So some of the things we've talked about even this morning here, so donating clothing for the homeless ministry or uh, delivering a meal as a couple of people did for us this past week, helping out at church or doing a favor for a neighbor, those are acts of service. And that is absolutely part of what we mean by serving. Those are good things. But notice here that Jesus is focusing on this as a lifestyle, as a life purpose, as an attitude to be a servant. And it's a full-time job for a follower of Jesus, a full-time servant. It's, to be, it's who we are, not just something we do. And I think that's a huge difference. I'm not sure this ever really struck me until I was preparing this sermon this week. The serving God is not individual acts of service. It is our identity to be a servant. That's how Jesus presented Himself. In fact, He uses Himself as an example. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's what He means by serving. So He's saying the Son of Man, which is the title Jesus often used connecting him to the prophecies about the Messiah. So he says, even the Messiah, the King, the Son of Man, came to serve rather than to be served. Even the Lord did not come and lord it over others. Even the King is a servant in this kingdom because he came to give his life, not just to live his life, but to give his life as a ransom, as a payment is what that means, a payment for sin, to release us from slavery to sin. So think about this again, is play this out a little bit more. Yes, Jesus performed acts of service. That was part of, part of His ministry every day. He healed people, He taught people, oftentimes He fed people, but He did those acts of service because He saw Himself as a servant a servant king, and his life goal was to serve ultimately by giving up his life for others. That's the role of a servant. So Jesus calls us to be lifelong servants, not just to do occasional acts of service. Now, when we talk about serving Jesus, of course, what we mean by that, not that we are 
doing something to Him or for Him directly. What we mean is we're serving others on behalf of Him. We are, in a sense, His hands, His feet, serving others for His glory. That's what we mean by serving Jesus. And a true servant views others as Jesus did, or views others with respect, who seeks to help them. A true servant considers others more important A true servant has an attitude of humility. A true servant is motivated by love. Everything that we see in Jesus, that is to be true of us. And being a servant is the greatest calling in the kingdom of God. So that brings us to the very practical point that today is Serve Sunday. Back to our little sheets here that we handed out. We're on on every chair as you came in today. Now, this, listen I want you to hear this in the context of this passage and this message, because on here is a list of a lot of needs and opportunities right here at Trinity Church and out in our community. And so, as you look down through this, you can see it requires all different kinds of skills and abilities, different time commitments, working with different groups of people. There's a wide variety of things on this list. And we do believe that part of being part of the body of Christ means that we serve one another. That's what the Bible calls us to. And so this is a natural part of church life, of body life here at Trinity. But please hear me on this. And here's the distinction. We are not looking for volunteers who just want to do an occasional act of service. If we do that, if we present it that way, if we give that false impression, then we are doing a misservice to you because that's not what the Bible talks about. This is how we learn to be servants, by serving. This is how we learn humility. It's by serving. This is how we learn to demonstrate love for others. This is how we learn to take our eyes off of ourselves. This is how we learn it's not just about meeting our needs, it's about meeting the needs of others. All those lessons come, all those values are increased, that kingdom perspective comes as we serve. That's why this is important. This is not just about helping Trinity Church get the stuff done that it has to do. This is about learning what the kingdom of God is all about. Uh, And at the risk of embarrassing a few people, let me give you a few examples right here in Trinity. For years, Dane Vaughn has made regular trips to Costco and other places to bring in supplies for Trinity Church. Probably most of you didn't even know that. You maybe don't even think about how how do we get the toilet paper here, the paper towels here, the cups that I drink my coffee out of. How do they, they don't just materialize here. Somebody has to go buy them and bring them. And for years, Dane has done that faithfully, without any fanfare. Why? Because he understands God's called him to be a servant, and this is his way of serving. Daryl Hansen recently become part of our deacon board, but before I ever had a position as a deacon, and I don't remember what it was, maybe two years ago, a year or two years ago, Daryl was out here for days painting the lines on our parking lot. 
Now, when you parked this morning, you probably never thought, I wonder who painted these lines here so that I would know where to park and we wouldn't end up on top of each other. Daryl was out there painting. Why? Not because somebody's cracked a whip and told him, get out there and paint those lines, Daryl. No, because he sees himself as a servant. And now, not only serves our deacon board, serves as our, on our missions committee, he's leading a group of servants that are going to Kentucky with Samaritan's Purse in a couple of weeks and going to serve somebody there. That's the heart of a servant. Of course you serve. It, that's our identity. We're servants. What else would we do? We've just recently started making sandwiches again for the homeless ministry. You saw that in, in there, the collection. Mike Mendonca also goes now again every week downtown with the Holy Spirit Ranch team and minister to the homeless in downtown Atlanta. We're going to begin making sandwiches again. We did that for years, stopped because of the pandemic. We're starting back up again. Lynn Creel from our missions committee is leading that. When you come here on a day and you make peanut butter sandwiches, probably nobody else will know. It's not going to show up on a video somewhere. The homeless who receive and eat those sandwiches will never know you made it, will never be able to thank you in person. But that's the role of a servant. And as servants, we serve. It may be hidden. It may be out of view. It may never be known other than to God. And the humility that we learn in serving is one of the greatest kingdom values that there is. That's Jesus' point. Greatness is in serving. There's nothing better, there's nothing more important that you can give your life to. That's the upside-down kingdom. Let me show it to you in another place. Jesus says it again in Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. The humility that we learn on this earth in serving the kingdom here is the glory that we will experience in the kingdom of God there. In Jesus' kingdom, the way up is down. The way to get ahead is on your knees. The way to glory passes through suffering. The way to greatness involves serving. That's his kingdom. And I want to close just by pointing you to what happens next. Because if you look in Mark, Mark 10, we finished our passage there at verse 45. But the next section, if your Bible says, like, my blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. So Jesus goes on to Jericho. He's coming into Jericho. This blind man named Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. And he hears that Jesus is coming. He can't see him, but he hears that it's Jesus. And he begins calling out to Jesus. And those around him say, shut up. Be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He doesn't care about you. That was the attitude of the people around him. Jesus heard him. He called for him. People bring him over to Jesus. And note this, Jesus says exactly what he said to James and John. I had never noticed this before until I saw it parallel on the pages of my Bible this week. What do you want me to do for you? But instead of saying, um, I'd like a throne on your right and your left, he says, I just want to see. I just want to see. And Jesus responds to this extraordinary request. 
And he gives him his sight. He heals him. When everybody else had pushed this man away, Jesus served him. Jesus healed him. Jesus loved him. Jesus cared for him. He stopped what he was doing, and he helped meet the man's need. That's a servant. So Jesus not only tells us that's what his kingdom is about, the very next thing in the passage, he goes out and he shows his disciples what it means to be a servant. So as your pastor this morning, I'm not asking you on our Serve Sunday to do something, to volunteer for something so that the work of the church gets done. I'm calling us to be servants because that's what Jesus said. To have the heart of a servant, to be a servant like Jesus. And we cannot do that in our own strength. You understand that, right? can't just say, okay, all right, I'm going to be a servant. It is a prayer request that we ask God to make us servants, to help us understand what it means to be servants, to give us the heart of a servant every day. But if we don't ask, if we don't think about it, if we're not even focused on it, it will never happen. It's a prayer Jesus wants to answer. He wants to help us learn how to serve, how to be servants. He loves that request. Years ago, and I was back in the 70s or 80s, there was a little chorus that we sang in church that just came to my mind this week as I was preparing this message. It just says, make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my heart always be, make me a servant. Make me a servant. Make me a servant today. If you take on the role of a servant Yes, there may be days where there's hardship, where there's suffering, where there's difficulty, but that's the pathway to glory. That's what Jesus shows us. I also know that if you learn to be a servant by serving, you will make the greatest contributions to the kingdom of God that you could possibly make because that's what Jesus says. The greatest in the kingdom are those who serve. To be a servant is the greatest and the most humbling calling that there could ever be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text and for this reminder. And, and Lord, though the disciples really needed this lesson, they, they were struggling to understand your upside-down kingdom. We struggle too, Lord Jesus. We need this just as much as they did. Lord, our world continually calls us to other things that define greatness, and yet you have so made it so clear that greatness is in being a servant, serving the needs of others around us for your kingdom glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work that into us and teach us that. Lord, may we be reminded to pray daily, say, Lord, let me serve you today. Help me to be a servant today. Lord, may... Make that a daily prayer in our lives so that we will truly understand the values of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts so that we can be a blessing, not just to each other right here at Trinity, but so that we can bless and minister to those around us in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, 
anyone you bring us in contact with. Make us servants. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.